2: What's up, Internet? And welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar, and this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Nate Ingram. Hey, Nate. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It's going good. We're going to be talking about Apple. There's a bunch of stuff we didn't get to talk about last week because, uh, hey, there's only so many, there's so many things we can review at once. So I will be diving into the Apple Studio display. Nate reviewed the iPad Air. We've got a bunch of news to dive into and a fun asking gadget question. So stick around for all of that. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for our interview with Dan Erickson, the creator of Severance on Apple TV+. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. I'll leave us a review on iTunes or, you know, whatever platforms, but iTunes is the best. And uh, you can drop us an email at podcast We typically do a live stream of the show on Thursdays around 10 a.m. Eastern. So you can join us on our YouTube channel for that. You know, join the chat talk with us. You can see some behind-the-scenes action. We do some Q&A, and uh, occasionally we'll show off some gear. Let's talk about the Studio Display. Apple's Studio Display. I I have so many feelings about this, Nate, and you are more of a Mac head than I am, so my review is up. My review's title is uh, Apple Studio Display um, for Mac-loving eyes only. It's the best Apple monitor for consumers, unfortunately. So I've got... I've got issues. Like, I think it is a nice-looking 5K panel. Um, You know, it is a well-designed screen. Um, It is kind of your only option for a sub-$5,000 Apple-approved, Apple-made display, which can go really nicely with the new Mac Studio, which I really liked last week. Be sure to check out our episode and discussion about that. Um, But this feels like a display that was made five or six years ago, right? It is basically the same screen that was in the 5K iMac from 2014. Um, It's a little brighter. It's 100 nits brighter, I believe. But otherwise, like the panel tech is the same. The resolution is the same. I don't even need resolution. I just want like better panel tech. I want, this is an IPS LCD, which is fine, uh, but it has a single backlight. There's no like local dimming zones like you'd find on modern TVs or any other modern monitor. There's certainly no mini LED support, which is the really cool technology that we saw on the new MacBook Pros. And I think that's on the uh, the Pro XDR screen too. It's um, on the iPad Pro too. The yeah, big one. it's on the iPad Pro. So Let me, let me just talk about that because backlighting is important, um, you LCD. care about
3: this more than most people, I feel like. Too,
2: Everybody you know? should care about this. This is the entire point. This is why you buy a new TV. Okay. More well, so actually, than before, resolution. Before I get too deep into that, Nate, like what do you you saw my review. You've seen like the general consensus on this. As somebody who likes Mac hardware, like what is your overall takeaway on this monitor?
3: I, I think that like your headline hits the nail on the head. Uh it's for Mac fans. I am a Mac fan. I typically use Macs for all personal and work stuff. So I'm like in the target audience and the simplicity and feature set is very cool, but the price is out of whack with the quality display you get. Yeah, like So you, you recognize bucks. that. You I recognize do. absolutely, I value. do. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember the old like Apple used to sell a 27 inch uh Thunderbolt display that was similarly like nice, like one plug. It had a built in charger for your laptop. It was like the 27 inch iMac at the time, which I think was a quad HD screen, which is pretty nice for the early two thousand two thousand tens, 2010s. But, and it was all, it was about like $800, I think. So still expensive compared to other like similar panels, but not, you know, twice as much as, as this, you know, this display is. So even as somebody who loves Mac hardware and can see the benefits of this, I wouldn't buy it. And if I'm not going to buy it, I don't know who will. <laughs> so,
2: so you like Mac hardware, but not enough to like pay. This is truly an Apple tax device where you're paying a lot more money compared to what's on the market right now um, just for Apple niceties, basically. And th- this is what's really confounding to me, right? This thing starts at $1599. If you want the uh, nano texture glass, right? Um, where's the additional price for that? Uh that's $300 if you want a height adjustable display the, the ability to move the monitor up and down $400 so if you want all of those things put together that's a that's a $2300 monitor that's insane to me for what you get with this thing there are some cool new features like uh, it has an a13 processor it has a built-in webcam which is not that great but at least it's built in Uh, it has a really nice speaker system and uh, we'll talk more about like what that a13 processor means but as a screen guys as a thing you look at all day it looks nice objectively but i was talking about the backlighting thing older lcd screens older tvs from like 10 years ago had like a single backlight right it was either on or off and that was fine but it wasn't great for like black levels and contrast and you really see that here where the darkest black you can get from the screen is like a, a gray like a like a inky gray it's really noticeable too because the entire like large bezel around this monitor is pure black so you can see there's a contrast undergrad. between the yeah. two yeah and it's not great it's it's not great at all. So by adding more local dimming zones and basically more zones of backlights throughout screens, um, that's how TV makers and monitor makers have been able to like localize that brightness. So for a sunset or something, you can put a little more bright stuff there so you don't have to blow up the whole screen and kind of like put everything out of wax. That's what enables HDR, you know, on newer 4K TVs. That's what gets you like that nice, uh, realistic looking lighting. There's none of that here. It's just a single backlight zone. So it just feels it feels ancient in a way. And it's weird because Apple has really spoiled us. I think with a lot of the new retina displays. Like I upgraded to the iPhone 13 Pro. Uh just I, I want the uh the pro the promotion. I wanted a higher refresh rate. That's not on this screen. Uh, it's still stuck at 60 hertz. So perfectly fine but if you do a lot of scrolling you'll notice it is not as smooth as other things is that something you care at all about
3: nate so i think that you're getting into an interesting uh place here because i think that the people that this monitor will appeal to are people who aren't quite as like like you're very very hardcore in terms of your like Visual fidelity knowledge, and you know, I, you appreciate it. I don't think you stuff. have to be. I, I think, like, no, you, when do, I'm you saying, don't, yeah. you don't, but I mm-hmm. think that the people who would be interested in this monitor are more interested in it being this all in one solution with these features that complement their Mac really nicely, and that's fine. But, like, you know, and so I'd agree that, like, things like fast refresh rates, uh, you know, and HDR, I mean, maybe less of it, an HDR thing. Like obviously this monitor isn't meant for gaming and that's fine. I wouldn't have expected it to be. It's meant for right? movie production. It's meant for video production. That's and the other thing I was going to say HDR is, is like essential right. these days. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it's it's the kind of thing that like somebody who bought like the entry-level MacBook Pro, the 14-inch model, they spent 2000 bucks on a nice laptop and they want a really nice display to pair with it. Like that's the market there. But I feel like they like really shot themselves in the foot in terms of like pairing this thing with the Mac Studio, which is obviously a super powerful, super compelling desktop computer. And it needs a monitor to like match that. And this just doesn't seem to be it. If you're like, you said, a professional working on video production, that sort of thing. Like none of my work is, is color sensitive, right? I do photography. I like it to look good, but you know, I'm not like making movies here. So that's why I'm like, oh, this would be this would probably be a fine display for me, but I'm not going to spend sixteen hundred dollars on just fine when I can spend eight hundred dollars on this like del- this delightful thirty-two inch Dell, you know, four K screen that like looks great and I think has HDR and you know so forth. So um, it is it's
2: confounding like the the market like maybe they're like okay if you're a real professional you're gonna spend six thousand dollars and get the pro xdr 6k screen which is a beautiful like 32 inch monitor but uh yeah i think that's out of reach for a lot of like people who aren't working in like production houses or something um I, i think it's more the imbalance between like what apple has been putting in a lot of their devices their pro devices um it feels really weird to be looking at the screen and seeing the price they're charging, seeing the extra fee for just height adjustability, which is a basic feature. Like Dell offers it on all of their pretty much all of their monitors, even their like cheap 200 to 300 dollar monitors. So that's not like something you should pay extra for. If you want to change the stand down the line, by the way, you can't so if, like, you change your mind, you just want to, like, physically mount uh, the your, this uh, studio display, you, you can't. You can't remove the stand. So you have to choose the base mount option from the start. Really? You to, yeah. You have to choose the height adjustable option from the start. That is ridiculous, too, because people's workflows change all the time. Right. You so move. You want a new setup. <laughs> you move. Yeah. You get a yeah. new desk. You want to, like, get a monitor arm or something. Um, so that is really where my criticisms come in. Uh, I see a lot of like much harsher reviews of this thing. So I'm, I'm not even being like completely negative here. Like I think, for if you're an Apple head and you don't you don't care about what you're missing here, which is a shame because I think Apple should treat you better because you are the loyal customers. Um, then you'll probably be fine. But I. It really grinds my gears when I see this happening, and to me, this is even more annoying than the like one thousand dollars stand for the, uh, the Pro Display because those people will pay whatever. Those, those expenses are expense to their companies. You know, it's it's not a personal price, but this is a monitor meant for normal people to buy and to put on their desk and to put beside the Mac Studio, and it is just not not as good. Like right now, I'm looking at uh, Alienware's QD OLED 34 inch ultra wide monitor this thing, it's a beast. It is like the best gaming monitor you can get. It has a 175 hertz refresh rate. It has 1000 nits of peak brightness. It has actual HDR. It has OLED. So that means How those much? pixels. I'm it's getting 12, excited. 1299. All right. It's expensive, sold. but it's not it's not 1699. It's not twenty three hundred dollars. And it is a much more useful monitor. Dell has other things too for like Artists and video professionals. I reviewed the 40 inch ultra wide, which is, uh, I believe, under 2,000. I got to double check that pricing, but it's it's that's a bigger screen. Also has the same like color accuracy as uh as the studio display and just like more modern, better backlights. So basically, I'm really annoyed with what Apple did here, and I just it feels like they don't understand, like they don't care. What is happening in the rest of the market, and it really annoys me. That probably comes across in my review,
3: but I hope I, I was fair there. Do you have any other thoughts on this thing? I think? mean, I think it's mm-hmm. very much coming across right now, which again, totally fair. Um, and it's interesting because it seemed like the Mac Studio was such a logical computer. Like, and I think that to give Apple credit, the trend in the last few years has been making a lot of smarter decisions around the Mac, they're clearly listen to the feedback they got mid last decade about, you know, thin overheating laptops with no ports. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that they're playing in the in the consumer monitor space again after getting out of it, because, you know, if this thing cost $1,000 and had all these, you know, nice features, great speakers, a built in webcam, uh, you know, the A13 in there, which might allow for some like fun trickery down the line, then it would be a lot more compelling of a product because I wouldn't mind paying a bit of an Apple tax but not a double-priced Apple tax. I, I could see paying like
2: $1,600 to – if like the potential of this thing's 813 processor was actually, you know, alive. Um, people have noticed – there was one Twitter user who noticed that it has 64 gigabytes of storage that's pretty significant (laughs) like in the screen because i think uh the way apple just manufactures the A13s is like they probably have the storage so it is cheaper just to keep building those chips or use the older chips rather than reorient their whole manufacturing process to get a 32 gigabyte you know storage or something even smaller in there it just kind of makes sense um but that means like this thing is basically an imac like it has storage it has processing it has like gpu circuitry um I could see a world where Apple had tried to make this like a smart display, right? Where if you didn't have any Mac attached to it, you could just like, you hit a button and you could do a FaceTime call or you could airplay from any of your devices right to it. Or you could just like do things with it, use it as like a speaker system, you know, wirelessly. And, um, I could see that happening down the
3: line, but maybe through hackers, not really through Apple itself. It is weird. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing they would necessarily enable, but it's really interesting that it's there. Um, But your point about this basically being an iMac is really interesting because the other thing I was going to mention is that at this price, $1,600, you could just straight up buy an iMac. (laughs) Like with a slightly smaller screen, 24 inch screen, but it's a whole damn computer instead of just a monitor.
1: (laughs)
2: And I really I reviewed the uh, the new M1 iMac and it's really nice. It's really thin. You can move it around more easily. The iMac is actually thinner than this monitor, you know, which is just a monitor. Um, They also killed the 27 inch iMac as well. So I'm
3: surprisingly bummed about that because I feel like that was, again, a sweet spot. Uh, The display size is nice uh if you want something a little bigger the 24 inch i have a 24 inch monitor on my desk and it feels like a little smaller than i'd Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. um all this monitor discussion is definitely making me want to buy something nice and new uh but yeah it won't it won't be sadly it won't be this apple display
2: one thing i haven't mentioned is that this is a pixel perfect apple screen so like because of the way uh mac os scales the resolutions and everything like having a 5k screen from apple means like everything shows up the way it's supposed to. Whereas if you were to plug into like a 4K monitor into your Mac, like there are some issues there. Like you have less usable desktop space. Uh, You couldn't like view a full 4K video while also viewing some of your timeline, which you can do in a 5K monitor. So there are certain things that Mac heads and I will, I guess I'm a PC guy or I'm like, I'm a platform agnostic guy too, because I I have to use both. I have to review both. And I have issues with PC side of things. I love like, Apple's ability to like combine hardware and software but I have I think more issues with Apple's like just what they do and what they force upon their users and there aren't many other choices right you have there is the LG ultra fine 5k monitor which came out several years ago everybody hates it because it's like a piece (laughs) of junk it's like (laughs) built it's cheap plastic they fall apart Uh, everybody who's bought one like I've seen have talked about like having to return them or get them repaired so how's the panel on that though compared to like this one I mean, I don't know about compared to this one. I hear the LG panel was pretty much the same as the one on the iMac, so probably pretty similar. But, you know, you're not getting a nice metal case and all all the other, like, Apple niceties. Um, And that's a weird thing. It's just, it it is confounding to me. I wish there were more options. I wish the pricing was more fair. I wish Apple treated their consumers better. Um, But that's just me. But, Nate, you reviewed the iPad Air, and I feel like that is a device where it's like, okay... I see what Apple's doing here is
3: actually much better and much more consumer friendly in many ways. Right. And I'm going to pull Steve jobs and be like, I happen to have it right here. Yay. (laughs) Um, yeah, it is a great tablet. Uh, So first of all, though, you kind of have to say, like, do I like using an iPad for starters? Um, If you don't care about tablets, then obviously it's not for you. The software hasn't changed in a significant way to make you say, oh, like, maybe I'll, you know, use this as a desktop or laptop replacement now. You certainly can. Um, I've had an iPad Pro 11 inch For almost two years now, and I can do most of my job on it, Uh, but I mostly like it as like a couch computing device is kind of how I put it, like a casual after work, browse the web, do my emails. It's great for when you travel for videos and music and reading and that sort of thing. And if you want to do more that you certainly can because the apps that most developers make for the iPad are still Really, really good. Um, but as for this Air specifically, it starts at six hundred dollars, and it has an M1 processor in it, and that's pretty crazy if you ask me. Considering that that chip is also in all of it's in like the iMac we just talked about, it's in the MacBook Air, it's in the thirteen-inch MacBook Pro, it's in the iPad Pro, and now it's in the iPad Air, uh, which is by far the cheapest device out of, of all those. For one sure. they only added it to the iPad Pro
2: like last fall too, right? So it wasn't that long ago. Right. it was about it was
3: actually a year ago this spring okay. so it was, it was okay. exactly a year ago yeah
2: gotcha so that, this is a pretty big time i think the mac mini gets gets to be like under this price you know so but th- that is wild right the m1 chip is basically the m1 chip not much changes so now they can like take that thing stuff it in your tablet, put a screen on it. And uh, do you notice any like speed improvements over like the previous gen iPad Air or other other ones?
3: Yes. So um, like I said, I've got an 11-inch iPad Pro that doesn't have the M1. It has the A12Z. Which so that's a 2019? It's a 2020, but the okay. A12Z is only a slight variant on the A12X, which was in the 2018 iPad. So it's getting like a little old. Um, and the M1, bench, benchmark-wise, just smokes it like on single-core, multi-core. It's, it's way faster. Uh, and in terms of actual use, you know, I was surprised to find like basic stuff, like just like using the Apple Mail app, like deleting all my email, just like... Snaps and in a way that like my old iPad doesn't feel old, but it does now. Uh, so like things like that, uh, you know, just like switching tabs, loading up browser tabs is super fast. Any app loading is super fast. Um, I was using Lightroom to edit some like raw photos. I took review photos of it in our office and then I imported them into the directly into the iPad into Lightroom using a USB-C uh, camera dongle. And it, you know, uploaded them to the Adobe Creative Cloud. And then I had them on my Mac and everywhere else I needed them. But I did some editing on the iPad itself. And the edits are just, like, instantaneous. It's super fast. But I'd say that if you have the previous iPad Air, which came out in the fall of 2020 with the A14, you're not going to get quite the same, uh, like, surprisingly faster, uh, you know, because that was already super fast, too. Uh, the difference though, is that I think with an M one, you can like buy this air now and expect it to last five years, basically. Yeah. The M one is like a
2: miracle chip. Like what, go back to my reviews of like the yeah. MacBook air and everything, like the amount of power in that, that thing was blowing away, like all Intel and AMD chips at the time with uh no
3: fan, like n- just astounding. Uh, does your iPad pro have promotion, Nate? It does. Yes. So that's one, that's like the big thing that's missing from the screen on this one. Um, to be honest, though, I didn't end up missing it too much. I know uh, people are really wild for high refresh rates. You said you got the iPhone 13 Pro, which has uh, 120 hertz.
2: When I'm, yeah, 120 hertz promotion. And it's like, I notice it when I'm scrolling Twitter or when I'm doing stuff like my eyes. It's just my eyes feel better because they're like being massaged by the screen rather than like having to like catch up with like the the like hiccups between uh, with a normal 60 hertz display basically
3: yeah Yeah, and i i still notice it but i was surprised at how quickly i stopped thinking about it on the ipad air so like i missed it at first but um i think honestly at this point that's about the only thing that's really separating the 11 inch pro from the air and so it makes you wonder i feel like either apple will have to discontinue they might discontinue the 11 inch ipad pro altogether and just leave the pro being the large screen uh device that it is or they'll have to do something to to differentiate it because it uses the same accessories it's got essentially the same screen it's got the exact same internal hardware right. you
2: could plug in the same keyboard uh attachment right which mm-hmm. is i'm in, really intrigued by too like i want like a nice light writing machine where not much else is happening so i can just focus so like
3: have you have you done that with your ipad pro that's probably the thing I do with it the most. And that's what I wrote the whole uh, iPad Air review on the iPad Air. I wrote the rest of the stuff I've been working on during that review time frame on it. It's really great to just like sit down, bang out, you know, a thousand words without thinking about it. It's a lot easier to like go into single focus mode and ignore, you know, notifications. Um, because of the way multitasking works, you're not gonna have like layers and layers of windows going. You'll just have your writing canvas and maybe like one other like a Safari tab for research or whatnot. But um, yeah, it's really good for that sort of thing. Uh, it is tricky because, you know, the keyboard is great. It costs a mind blowing $300, $300. And so, oh my God. And it's funny. It's, yeah. it's the same problem we're talking about with the monitor. Where like, sometimes you'll see Apple do something that's like a pretty reasonable value. Like, an ipad air with an m1 chip for 600 bucks and then you have a keyboard that literally costs half as much as it <laughs> and you, know, <laughs> you or like, like you'll, you'll a have couple, a monitor that costs yeah. the same as an imac and it's just yeah.
2: 30 or 50 bucks more than that keyboard you get the base ipad and you could do a lot with that too um i i'm i've been eyeing a new ipad for a while like first it was the ipad uh what was it the new ipad mini from, yeah, from last fall from last fall which is adorable and certainly is adorable. very, very powerful. Um, but this is like price wise, not that much of a difference. I think like I could I could carry around this easily. It would be more useful for like big screen comics and stuff and having that keyboard attachment. But now I'm like, do I I really like promotion. I really like mm-hmm. having that mm-hmm. high refresh rate. So now it's like, do I just like suck it up and pay a little bit more to have a screen that I don't
3: I that doesn't bother me as much. That you're gonna that you'll actively love. Yeah. I think you'll, you know, you'll actively be happy about it. And, you know, I'll say at this point, uh, before this Apple event at the beginning of March, when people are talking about the new iPad, it was either going to be the Air or the iPad Pro uh, since they refreshed the mini and the base iPad in the fall. Um, I expect that the iPad Pro will get an update at some point this year. But um, so it might be worth waiting for. But, you know, I'd say for like just give the me a vast- discount on last
2: year's. That's all I need. Well, yeah.
3: Uh, go find a refurb maybe yeah, yeah yeah that's that's not a bad idea they do have refurbished ones this is how
2: I buy expensive hardware is just go refurb baby that's yeah the, it's good. the best way to go um,
3: and did you try sidecar at all Nate I did so sidecar is like yeah using it as an external display and right now I'm actually using uh, the new feature in uh, iOS 15.4 and Mac OS 12.3 which is the uh, continuity or I guess I'm forgetting what it's exactly called, but it's where you can use one keyboard hooked up to your Mac and also use it on the iPad. So I'm doing that right now where I've got um, my keyboard in front of me and my mouse in front of me. And I'm going back and forth between um,
2: my universal control. That's what universal control. Thank you. Which is,
3: it's wild to me to
2: see Apple just like implement this right now because in like 2005, when I was working in it, there were like several open source projects that were like, we could, we could just sync up all your devices, Mac PC. So I had, I had like a lampshade iMac on my desk and I had a PC to my right. And I was (laughs) able to, with this thing, move one keyboard and mouse between them and even do like some like copying pasting because like it, it, there were like server access and everything. So like that was pretty wild. Like, and to have that, like, Almost, uh, almost twenty years ago at this point, my God! But to have that, like, actually, finally, natively built into something from Apple of all companies is uh, is kind of wild to me. Um, would you consider this, like, if you already have a MacBook um, of any kind, would you consider this to be like just a good accessory iPad because you can get Sidecar? You could; it's a lot lighter than even the MacBook Air, right? So, like, it's a it's a yeah, good thing absolutely. to travel with in many ways. If you, yeah, you know. it, it,
3: it's an ideal, it's, and that's kind of one of the things I've liked about iPad since the beginning. Is like, it's a great travel device. Like, obviously, if we're going to a big trade show, we need our full setup. That's fine; you bring your laptop. But when I am, you know, traveling for myself, which I haven't done much of the last two years, but you know, hopefully someday again soon, uh, yeah, it's a great. Kind of like little personal computer to have all my stuff on it, like my my own personal stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm using. It's really cool the, uh the um, Universal Control thing. Like I've got a Bluetooth keyboard and a mouse hooked up to my laptop, and I'm just using them right now on my iPad. Although I will say, somebody um, on Twitter, I don't remember who, but they said that while Universal Control works really well, there's almost no situation in which it's better than just doing Sidecar, which is using the iPad as an external display, because Cause I'm like, okay, what do I have open on here? I've got like our note, our show notes and I've got Slack on my iPad and I could have just had my windows from my Mac over there doing the same thing. But That's true. But maybe you want to some... handle an iPad app instead of,
2: you know, a Mac app. Like, uh, does Instagram have an iPad app yet? Is that the whole controversy? <laughs> sure don't. Nope. sure don't. Uh, something else that doesn't exist on Mac OS, but does exist on iPad OS. Um, oh, like, uh, Netflix, maybe. Like, a, you yeah, you can put a it in a window, call. but yeah, there's, there's no Mac, Netflix app. So there you go. Who do you think this uh, iPad is for, Nate? Because I really like the base iPad. That thing is super cheap, like does like 85% of like what this computer does. And I think for most users, that is just
3: the one to get, but who needs the iPad air, you think? Yeah, it's really tricky because I agree with you about the, the base iPad being like a super good value, obviously for $330. You if get. you've never had an iPad before, just get that. Like, yeah, you will be very happy. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I reviewed that one last fall. I was able to, again, do most of what I do on the iPad Air, my iPad Pro with that device. Um, it just doesn't feel as nice. It feels old. The there, the, the ve- keyboard dock, the keyboard accessory does not work on that, right? They have something not the, There's There's a second keyboard. It doesn't have a trackpad. So this keyboard that I'm using has a trackpad, which uh, makes a huge difference in how much Work I'm able to get done on it. Like if I'm editing text documents and whatnot, it's much easier to use a, a trackpad than keep on poking the screen. Um, but it does have a keyboard case, uh, which is like still pretty pleasant to type on. And um, Logitech makes a couple too, so yeah, they do. And I think yeah. Logitech makes one with a trackpad, I believe. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's this is for uh, people who like me, like Apple stuff, are willing to pay a little more for, the, a, you know. A, nicer performance, uh, better hardware, uh, design, you know, not this kind of like old stale design and it's definitely more future proof, right? Like this thing will remain nice and fast, much longer than the, uh, the basic iPad. Um, it's the one that I would recommend most people get, assuming that they can afford it. Uh, you know, and again, it's not an insignificant price difference, more than $200 between them. Uh, but I'd say that if you are interested in using it for anything more than like, sitting on the couch and kind of browsing messaging if you want to like get into more like creative applications uh that sort of thing then this is a good upgrade to get gotcha like a good laptop replacement if you have like something else
2: at home maybe like if Mm -hmm. you have a desktop or something so hey if you want to be creative uh check out the ipad air thank you so much nate Let's move on to some other news. And a weird thing happened this week, several weird things actually. Snap, the company behind Snapchat, uh, bought a brain computer interface startup called NextMind. Have you played around with any of
3: the brain interface stuff, Nate, at all? No, I haven't. This is like, this is foreign territory for me. Um, It's interesting. And at the same time, I'm like, what are they going for at this point? Um, I mean, I think it's probably a very uh, forward looking acquisition to some degree right because this is not really like common uh consumer Mm -hmm. tech yet it's
2: not it's not i mean we've only seen uh like demos of this stuff um looks like NextMind's thing looks like a headband that straps around your head and you know the whole idea is that you can just think about something and um it can track your brain synapses to like control a mouse pointer or just like make selections on, on a screen certainly for uh snaps ar glasses it could be interesting don't you think
3: yeah except that the only thing that i'm thinking about is that i think the 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 spectacles thus far have all been like pretty like standard looking glasses right and this like would have to require more uh or more obtrusive hardware would be my my guess so again like this might not be the kind of thing we're going to see like imminently but um yeah it feels like the kind of like the acquisition where they're going to like use the tech and like bring the people on board to like do something interesting rather than just like start offering this as something in the short term. Yeah. It just seems like uh they
2: have a lot of money and they can start experimenting with this stuff and really I think everyone's like Okay, we have some technology. We The race for the perfect AR glasses is pretty much on. Like, we know Apple's working on something. Facebook is very is being very loud about this stuff, too. And Snap has produced, you know, they've been producing glasses hardware for a while. I've not been a huge fan of them, but they exist, and everyone's exploring this. So if uh, even if it was, like, a slight wraparound glasses or something, or if it could use, like, the, the arms to, like, detect some brain interface stuff... That would be kind of interesting, uh, but then I'm I'd be really worried about like okay what do you now what are you tracking what other right. information are you
3: getting from me? Yeah, I'd be more inclined to like let Snap do this than Facebook personally or than Meta, but um and I like I like the fact that Snap is like being very experimental as a company in this regard. Like they could have just kind of been content to be like a, a social app that was pretty popular, but they're sort of pushing for uh something different and. Whether or not it turns in anything, obviously, TBD, but um, acquisitions like this, like, are pretty interesting.
2: I don't really hear people talking about Snapchat, like, all that much anymore, either. Like, with the rise of TikTok and everything, like, I cannot remember the last time uh, somebody has even referenced Snapchat next to me.
3: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I feel like it probably still has, like, a a relatively loyal, like, installed base. Like, I imagine if if your social circle uses it a lot, then you're kind of, like, not locked in, but you're going to be more inclined to keep using it, right? But I don't know. Um, although I feel like you know we we track their their financials and their earnings, and you know when they report users, and I think they've they've still managed to keep growing a little bit. Don't quote me on that for sure, but um, they're they're not um, they're not by any means dead as a social platform, but indeed with like the rise of TikTok, there's certainly like a second second tier thing it's like it is a very different
2: thing too um ben is pointing out in our chat that uh, high schoolers still love it and uh sure I, i'm i'm sure I, I just like among the high school people i know like nobody's really talking about or excited about the buzz on snapchat either which how is many high saying.
3: schoolers do you know <laughs> i
2: have family unfortunately Fair. like okay. i have family all around so i end up talking about like you know, what kind of tech are you using? How what social networks are you guys into? Uh, stuff like that. Um, do you think, Nate, like, is this something these sorts of experiments? Are these like investor pushes from Snap or is this like the the leadership? Like, I don't think investors want to experiment like normally. No,
3: uh, no. But there's also at the same time, like they have to like there's some like keeping up with the Joneses to this. Right. Like metaverse is a thing now. And so they've got to have their own you know, play for this. Right. So uh, I could see it coming a little bit from that angle. But no, I think it's like been in their DNA to just like do some kind of weird product experimentation like this. And they've like you said, they've been doing AR for a bit already. So this is like a a logical next step to some degree. Yeah, I remember when the first spectacles were announced, we were like, what what the hell is
2: this? And like you could only buy it in like weird random pop ups. And like that was a smart
3: move just in terms of like buzz, you know, because nobody was really doing that. I think, and setting expectations, too, in terms of like what it's supposed to be. Um.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Another weird thing that happened this week, Apple apparently bought a UK credit startup called uh, Credit Kudos. And this is just kind of a weird story to me because this has nothing really to do with the consumer side of things. I hear, um, from what I've read, Credit Kudos, uh, it's an open banking startup that uh, exists to help lenders make better decisions. So basically to help apple better to figure out like how financing will work for a particular person um that's according to the block um yeah i could see that being useful you know like it's uh when i was a freelancer right and i didn't have i certainly didn't have enough money to just buy a macbook or something um the point where i could be like okay i can just get this macbook air it was like the 2012 macbook air and i can finance it and i can afford the monthly fees it was like zero percent apr um i really appreciated how smooth that process was from apple compared to like most other companies like it wasn't really like i'm i'm buying a credit card i'm joined the x ex- the best buy credit card or something like it was a pretty simple loan process um certainly i feel like if Apple can better figure out if people if they're like, OK, to manage a loan or something and do that quicker, um, that helps Apple sell more stuff. And that helps like more people like get access to their hardware.
3: So maybe that's a good thing. Uh, thoughts, Nate? Yeah, your your point about um, how you finance something 10 years ago, it's super relevant because. That's basically what they're doing with the Apple Card now. Like, if you want to finance Apple hardware now, they let you for 0%. You just do it with an Apple Card. Um, And so, like, this seems like it would definitely play right into that uh, in terms of, like, I I think I saw either in our article or the one you referenced that uh, I don't believe the Apple Card is launched in the UK yet. And they're saying this could be something that plays into it, right? So, um, yeah, I think if they – they used to do, like, I think – I know for a while there was a, a Barclays MasterCard that they used for financing. Same deal, 0% over, a you know, 6, 12, 24 months, depending on how much the purchase was. Um, pretty simple. Um, obviously, doing it with Apple Card is, is simpler and gets you into their their ecosystem there. So I think anything they want to do to, like, make that more sticky is, is certainly relevant here. Um, but, yeah, it is definitely a weird... Uh, you know, acquisition, we don't hear about them buying like banking startups. We don't really hear about their acquisitions at all. Like
2: it's, it's very like every time Apple acquires a company and when I've had to like report on this, it is a lot of like begging Apple, like, Hey, is, is this a thing? Is this real? And then Apple will never say anything. And, uh, I I think the confirmation here is that, uh, credit kudos website points to like Apple, uh, terms of use at some point. So that's, that's kind of the big tell there. Do you, what do you think about the Apple cart? Nate, like I, I've not signed up for
3: it, but it is an intriguing idea. Credit cards are tough. I've just been recently trying to decide like what I wanted to use for credit card. Cause I was like, I want something that gets me better travel points. You know, like, I'm like, again, like I want to go on vacation finally. So, um, I'm also, I had an Amazon card and our Amazon prime card and I'm trying to get off of Amazon, Uh, so, you know, once I'm not a prime subscriber, that card won't be very useful. So, uh, you know, again, moving off of that, I forgot they had a
2: prime card. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You get like 5% cash. You get 5% on Amazon purchases, which is like pretty good, but I don't want to be spending most of my money on Amazon anymore. So it's not, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the Apple one is good because I think you get 2% anywhere you use Apple pay, uh, and then three percent at Apple and like a bunch of other places. So, like, it's, it, and it's very simple. That's again, it's, it's very, it is very Apple in that, like, you don't have to think about it too much. You get, you know, just straight cash refunds to your card, which is nice. Um, but and I think it like builds, it makes the wallet even more useful. Although, you know, I think once you like, do you use Apple Pay? Like, do you have your credit I cards? I use it everywhere. Like, Apple yeah, Pay
2: is like super helpful, especially now when I don't want to, like fish through my wallet. So, around here, uh, where I am in Georgia, like, Almost everywhere it takes Apple Pay for everything. And also, PSA for everybody, never swipe your credit card at a gas station. There is, like, a goddamn pandemic going on out <laughs> there. Another <laughs> pandemic of skimmers everywhere. Really? And uh, something, uh, this is a story maybe to, like, uh, dig into at some point. But I, I think gas station owners are, like, doing it themselves. Because there are, like, phantom charges that I've noticed in my area that go to other gas stations locally. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I paid $15 for gas. I remember paying that a week ago. But if they charge you a week or two later, you probably won't even notice it because like, yeah, I bought gas at some point. Um, The only safe way to buy gas now or really anything is uh, never, never, never swipe. Uh, You could use a chip reader. That's, I believe, harder to actually uh, steal. Um, But if you can tap, if you can tap anywhere, the safest way to do any transaction, just a big PSA, because last time, uh, every time something goes wrong, right? Your credit card company basically says, hey, we detected fraud. All your cards are gone. We we close all your cards. We're going right. to send you they, a new they one. They
3: immediately go into yeah. like full, which like yeah. I get, but at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, cool yeah. now. And they'll They'll send you a new one
2: a week later. You know, and then there's always this period where it's like, okay, I got to change all my accounts. I got to change all the stuff. Anyway, big deal. Um, tap to pay if you can, folks. is the safest way. Um, but yeah, you had a broader point, Nate, about Apple Pay. <laughs> oh boy, who knows what it was? I, but, don't know. Um, I mean, I think God. that,
3: like, I, I think what I was going to say is that um, using like the the Apple Pay, like with your with any card you want, be it a debit card or like another credit card besides the Apple card is, is really great. And so like the Apple card, like has some stuff that is nicer than that. Uh, but it, I, I think for the most part, like it's really mostly worth considering if you want to finance a purchase from them, like that's kind of like where they're really pushing it now. And they they're, they're um, still doing separate
2: financing too, right? Like if you don't want to get the Apple no, card, nope. they're not, I don't huh. think so.
3: I'm, okay. I'm 99% sure they discontinued mm. uh, whatever they used to use. And now okay. it's just like, if you want to finance something, you do it through an Apple card. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and they I do, mean, you know, like, yeah, here's the monthly payment for 24 months or 12 months or whatever it is. And, yeah. and I don't want I don't want to promote
2: debt culture and whatnot. Um, it, it is hard to get anything financed, but if you're just starting out or you cannot like outlay all that money right away, a uh, 0%, you know, financing for
3: something is perfectly doable. And you know, no, nothing to be ashamed of doing. Uh, no. It's just wild, when you get too many of those things going and it feels like subscriptions, yeah. right? Like you've got too many. You be know, careful. Too many, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what I tend to do is like, okay, I've paid off this one thing,
2: like an exercise machine or something. It's like, okay, we needed that. And now it's like, okay, I could do something else or just like start saving that money. Um, anyway, moving on to our wild story of the week. And I don't know if the story has been changed at all. Have you seen the crazy uh,
3: Tesla jumping video from LA, Nate? I watched it and it's, it's really kind of ridiculous. Uh, I feel like this story is like the perfect intersection of everything. That's horrible about like the internet and like internet culture and Tesla all like rolled into one kind of gross sandwich. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, uh, so the video went viral of
2: like, it was on TikTok, It was on a lot of other platforms of like just this Tesla, uh, flying over this intersection in LA, which is known for like, if you go fast, like you'll probably get a little air. Um, The person driving that car did not take into account the sheer power of an EV, like electric torque, which is insane if you floor it. Um, And also the fact that Teslas are freaking heavy cars, like super heavy. So if you crash into anything, you're you're gone. Once you land, like from a big jump, like that thing is falling apart. So the video shows this, uh, It shows somebody driving over an intersection uh, crashing into several cars down the street and just, uh, I think, running away. They haven't really confirmed who the driver is. But the weird thing, the reason I'm mentioning this is because there was this also other weird thing happening where um, Dirty Dom, Dirty Dom, Dominicus Ziglitus, uh, I remember I seeing this online, too. He admitted, it's like, oh, yeah, it was me. And he showed footage of, uh, of, you know, potentially him behind the wheel doing it. And um, yeah, you know, local news and stuff like got in touch with him, and like it was a big thing. Then he admitted in another video that it was all a prank, and he kind of staged it with uh, his own Tesla and just like chopping up a video and like having friends like recreate the crowd too. So Don't believe like this, everything you see, folks. Just so wild. So his uh, reveal video is just uh, pretty pretty crazy, and he certainly like he I believe his TikTok account was uh, was banned. Once like that thing was admitted, but this is a weird, uh, social media guy who is like social media chaser, who is like doing this thing to get the clout that being so infamous would uh, would certainly get you. And also, um, Alex Choi, another YouTuber who like, apparently he posted a video of the crash. Uh, I think the news is that he helped arrange like people meeting up there to film that or something. Um, he is related to this as well. We, we don't know what that person was thinking. So I, I, there's a lot of things I love about like the open nature of YouTube and, uh, online social media, you know, like, and how it's like made creators out of everybody, but there is so much like weird, like, Hey, look at this crazy stunt we're doing. You know, when I first started doing, uh, when I first started watching TikToks, a lot of people would just do, like, pranks on other people, which seemed, like, increasingly dangerous, you know, and making people's lives hell because you get a little bit of social media juice. That part of all this is really annoying to me. Um, but, yeah, I feel like watching this whole story, I'm spiraling a bit,
3: Nate. Uh, <laughs> what is, What is your thought? At this My part? thought is, like I said, is that this is, like, this intersection of – it's encouraging people's worst instincts, like you mentioned, like the TikTok kind of pranking thing. Uh, and then, like, I'm just trying to imagine why you would you look at this video and say, like, I think I'm going to take credit for this, like, destructive thing. And, like, I get it. Like, yeah, like, maybe people will be like, oh, my God, look at what this guy did. But, like, did he not think, like, law enforcement was going to not come knocking on the door, for example? Like, oh, no, it wasn't me now. Like, okay. Like, it's just – it's, 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 it's not
2: that silly. hard to track to is a rented Tesla. So they're like immediately going to the person
3: who rented it and being like, hey, so what's up here? Um, yeah. It seems and like when, somebody probably stole Like ultimately what seems to like probably happened is someone stole it. Mm, I'd have to guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't
2: – I think the wilder thing is that somebody, no, like rented this thing and uh, legit just wanted social media clout for doing this jump and – did not realize like how crazy it was going to destroy the car, <laughs> how crazy it is. And, uh, yeah. there, there is like a GoFundMe campaign for somebody whose car was destroyed as well. Somebody's Subaru. So like to see people get together to try to help that person, because who knows how much insurance is actually going to cover. Um, do we need a new insurance item for like social, TikTok social media damage? Like damage in the event of social media, acts of acts of social media, acts of social media violence. Let us know what you think about the story, folks. Podcast at Engadget.com. Don't try it at home. Don't try it at home. We want to do a quick asking gadget section with a question from Ben. Once again, we're helping Ben Elman, our producer, figure out a computer purchase. But this one is for family, right?
1: Yes, this is for family. This is not just for me.
3: But you are basically just using us as like an, as a personal like advice.
1: Hey, down, no, right? okay, this is what I
3: live for. Well, yeah, yeah
1: but last week they were cyberbullying me into getting a new computer when I already planned on getting a new computer. It just wasn't fast enough for them. Yeah, have you gotten the new computer yet, Ben? I have not ordered it yet because I'm pretty. Let sure Let the cyberbullying be... commence. Oh God! Come until on.
2: you what did get you it,
1: get? what'd you get? A 16 inch MacBook Pro. Let's get to this actual thing. So the story is that I am staying with relatives. Uh, my uncle and his wife, they're about to sell their house here in Florida. They're going to be uh, using the money that they get from this sale to buy a smaller home base. And then they're going to take to the road for months at a time with retiree trailer life. We were talking about like what they needed to do to outfit their situation they have gotten their dream trailer already, but they asked me like can you help us with figuring out a important tech issue? they want a laptop that will work anywhere so it can connect to cell uh, service when it needs to. It can connect to Wi-Fi at like truck stops or uh, campgrounds when it needs to. Um, It might even be able to be a hotspot for other devices if they need to connect to the internet. So is there something that can do that? They like the idea of it being one box. So just like one laptop they can do video calls directions email paying bills streaming all that stuff Mm uh
2: you know we have spent years like charting the rise of like uh cellular equipped laptops Uh, there was a big push from qualcomm uh to make like you know that a big thing on windows and like a lot of it just never happened but from what i can see right now uh the 2022 hp specter x360 i just reviewed the 14 inch model of that there is a 16 inch version of that uh, computer which is about as it, it's about as big as like a 15 inch laptop beautiful screen great laptop there is supposed to be a 5g version of that computer coming so i would recommend that that is like if you want a really nice looking machine but it's if not you out mind, yet it's not out like right away uh dell's latitude 9520 which is one of their newer business laptops also has a 5g modem i believe like as an option that you could put in there so it's typically like business oriented notebooks that we're seeing getting this because people just want to work everywhere and yes you could certainly like turn it into hotspot but then you gotta that involves like okay you gotta do some windows settings like you gotta you gotta know how to like share that internet connection and you better hope it works properly um I will say that, uh, so th- those are two good options. If you just like one, one thing, but, but if you are really trying to live the mobile life, right. And you could maybe want to recreate like what you have at home. Most of us have Wi-Fi routers at home, right. And through that Wi-Fi router, that is the gateway for all of your devices to get online and everything. And I think hotspots and certainly 5g hotspots are getting better. Like, um, The whole point of 5G really is to like for a lot of people replace home internet Um, and like the networks haven't fully gotten there yet, but I think uh, T-Mobile has several uh, 5G hotspots. Their coverage is really, really good too because they have better mid band coverage than some others. So you can, you can be relatively certain that you would have some sort of coverage. It wouldn't always be 5G. Maybe sometimes would be LTE, but a hotspot would sure you could connect any laptop to that right and you could connect your tablets to that and you could connect um any other device like you may have other things in your home you may have like a streaming you know you may have an apple tv or something a roku device a, Nintendo switch. a, <laughs> a switch like you have so many things um sure you could always just share it off of a computer um but that that is kind of clunky like computers aren't great at running multi- sharing internet to multiple devices at once and also um if your computer is the sole like cellular device in your RV, then if anything happens, like if it stops working, if you have any issues, like you got nothing, you've got no internet. So I feel like having combined functionality like that, it is a nice thing to have. If it's like on top of having a hotspot, sure. Uh, so then you could leave the RV and like just be online wherever. But I, I think for a lot of people, and I have thought about this too, get a good hotspot, pay the monthly fees for that. And I think you'd be a lot happier. Um, and then it works the way you would, you just join your Wi-Fi network as you typically would. Uh, I don't know if any RVs have hotspots built in, but I do know, like there are a lot of cars that have hotspots, you know, that you could just subscribe to as well. So that's an option. Uh, I but, like the car hotspot idea. Obviously you're not going to yeah, buy a car it's just rough. for that. It's rough, but, uh, you know, it's confusing because like they're like I have one right now in my Pacifica hybrid and it's like AT&T so then I'd have to you know you start an AT&T count um you have to hope it all like works and then it's a whole other it's basically you're paying for another phone service account you know and that's a whole thing but if you were mobile then uh, maybe that would work out any thoughts Nate on this
3: yeah i mean i think that the hotspot is like definitely not something to be afraid of because it you know it limits if you're trying to find something with 5G or LTE built in, like you're really limiting your search for only a few a few good models, the ones you mentioned. You, you could mentioned. get a
2: hotspot and a used old computer and be very,
3: very happy, too. So. You could get a
1: Chromebook. Or one of your beloved Dell XPS models of the last couple years.
3: Yeah. It seems like the way to go. It having some redundancy, like you said, uh, having not just rely on that one thing uh, opens up, you know, you've got way more options there to find, like, the nice big screen video chat movie watching laptop that you that you need um don't be afraid of the hotspot don't be afraid of the hotspot it
2: is the easiest thing to deal with but also if you want like a nice device with a cellular like an iPad would actually be a lot more useful than a laptop
1: i think with built-in cellular so talking about ease of use you know these are folks who have spent their lives in the kitchen So they know a lot about culinary and not that much about computers. And so they are really focused on something that's really easy to use. That's, I think, why they are drawn to the idea of just having one box for everything. They use their Wi-Fi router at home. So is it it as easy to reset as your at-home Wi-Fi router? Is it really just turn it off and on? It's
2: easier. It's easier. It's a, the the only hard part is like you know getting it set up with T-Mobile or whoever they end up going with. Uh, that that's an annoying process. But yeah, beyond that, it's it's a little box that is spitting out you know cellular connectivity that you can connect to over Wi-Fi. If they know how to connect to Wi-Fi, it is as easy as it is at home. Um, while you're driving, any device will have issues with cellular reception, so just be aware of that. Um, certainly, you know, be sure to download movies and stuff if you want to like be driving and also enjoying something, uh, because you're going to have like reception issues as you're going through highways and under tunnels and stuff.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I think my family will thank you also.
2: Thank you. And if you have a question, folks, I love, we love answering questions here. So drop us an email at podcastingadget.com and we'll do an asking gadget section just for you. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Nate, you said you had something quick you want to mention?
3: Yeah, I did. Um, so earlier this week, Google officially announced that they're bringing uh, Steam support to Chrome OS. So there's like a really early alpha of uh, Steam running on specific specific Chromebooks. And I'm a Chrome nerd. and I also love <laughs> Half-Life 2. So I'm like, oh I want to get this going. Um, no, I think it's... Uh, I think it's a great idea if they can make it work. Um, there are a lot of
2: Steam games that don't require hardcore graphics, too. So right.
3: Sure. And there's like a lot of Linux support for Steam already, I believe, right? Um, and that's basically what they're using here. And then there's the Proton compatibility layer, which I'm guessing is maybe not so good. But uh, I've never tried that myself, using a Proton to run Windows games on Linux. but. I like the idea that they're they're gonna try it. So, um, I'm going to try and get my hands on a Chromebook that runs this Steam Alpha and start playing around with it. Um, is it's it, only, is think, it just
2: like the best Chromebooks right now? Like what, what is? Yeah, you basically it's
3: it, 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 it's a Chromebook with an i5 and I think eight gigs of RAM is required. Um, there's Google says that seven models are supported right now. Um, but it's like, again, I think they weren't like ready to actually announce this, but somebody at GDC was giving a talk from Google and they like kind of spilled the beans on it. Uh, and so they're like, what? all right, we're going to, yeah. So we're going to like make it a little more official. Um, so, but yeah, it's early alpha. It's going to be janky. It's going to be buggy, but the list of games that they've tried and say that you should try, it's pretty long. It's like multiple dozens of games. Like the Witcher three is on there. Um, if you have like the right hardware, uh, and run out the right graphic settings. So like, I don't know. it's interesting. I think that games is obviously one of the things that Chromebooks have been, like, totally unable to do. And now that there may be an option, like, I think that's kind of cool.
2: They, I mean, I, again, we're, we have to do all this legwork just to have Chromebooks play, like, basic games. I mean, if you had a real laptop, you wouldn't have to worry I get about it. that. I get but it. But, yeah. You know, it is it is a cool thing. Uh, game streaming on Chromebooks is something I've thought would True. be really interesting, too, because if you yep. have Xbox Game Pass, you could just like throw that in there and uh, play your Xbox games from wherever. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, streaming stuff is great. But be so your to see. your big thing is you're looking for one of these Chromebooks, Nate.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've I've reviewed at least a couple of the ones that that are supported, but I unfortunately do not have the hardware anymore. So I need to get one that I can try okay, good luck with that. Um, Thanks.
2: updates for me. I' I'm, uh, I'm working on writing up a, a review with uh, of the Halo TV series which I, I'm still kind of mixed on. I, I think it does some cool things but yeah has not, that not, series not, started? Is it it is starting on yet? Friday. It is starting on Friday. I've seen the first two episodes. I'm also writing up a, a gadget IRL or you know a life experience with my Chrysler Pacifica 2018 hybrid. Um, yeah. It, it started out being a very rosy story, and then Chrysler recalled the car, so now I can't charge the car, or the reason I bought that car. So it's going to be a conflicting uh, account of owning that thing. Uh, still, still a nice car overall, so that'll probably be going up in the next few weeks, and I am just preparing to, to get out of here for a month or so to have a baby. That's a, that's a big job. That's a big thing I'm working on. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Nate, I,
3: I see what you have here, and I am not surprised. Yes. Uh, horizon Forbidden West. Uh, one of my favorite games of the last 10 years was horizon zero dawn. Uh, I think that the story that they told there was just so fascinating. Uh, really, really loved it. And so far the sequel has not let me down at all. It looks wonderful. It's definitely one of the most gorgeous games. I think you could play right now. Uh, I'm almost 60 hours into it. I'm not done. I'm not done yet. Um, and it's great because I don't, you know, there's there's the main quest sequence, which like I want to know what's happening there. But it's one of those games where I fire it up and I'll start doing something and then just see something on the map or like out in the wilds and start to follow that. And just like it picks up my curiosity and I go from there. And it reminds me a lot of Breath of the Wild in that way where you might start out thinking you're going to do one thing and then go on a completely different journey. Uh, yeah, I just love it. It's It's one of my favorite games. I'm glad you're digging it, Nate. I wish I wish the timing of the release of these
2: games were better because the first one came out like right alongside Breath of the Wild. I'm like, I'm going to play freaking Zelda like I'm going to spend hundreds of hours in Zelda. And I never really went back to uh, to the last one to Zero Dawn. And I started this one and then like Elden Ring came out and so many other games came out. I'm like, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like, wandering I've, around. You know? Did you ever finish the first one? I haven't finished it but you know what i like i heard the plot was interesting so i have seen some recaps i know what happens i think okay sure like that that is an interesting spin on a very familiar by a sci-fi story so i i think it's interesting i think it looks great um playing the first couple hours of this i was like you guys have not changed the controls at all like uh, Aloy still feels a little too big and clunky and stuff but I'm intrigued like once I have if I ever have free time again in my life, (laughs) I will probably go back into that Uh, right now. It's like the the cosmic horrors of uh, Elden Ring kind of have me hooked more. And I think I mentioned Tunic last week, which is on uh, Game Pass right now. That is sort of like I think you'd really like Tunic, uh, Nate, because it's very like uh, it's a Zelda like game where you're playing uh, Fox with the sword nothing is like really there's no like clarity about the world or how you do things so it's a real sense of discovery game i'm finding that really interesting compared to like horizon and a lot of other games too where they're like this is how you do everything this is how you use the weapons this this is your class system these are all the systems
3: we're gonna spell it all out for you um i will say that i think in horizon especially forbidden west the amount of, like, crafting and different weapons and armors and, like, play styles is is much bigger than... Like, their upgrade tree is huge. Almost too big, in my opinion, but you can really, like, I think, find a way to play it that works for you, and it'll probably be totally different than the way someone else does. Like, I know somebody who says they mostly do melee... Melee instead of arrows, and I'm like, you're crazy. But like, hey, like you do you.
2: That is a game built around arrows too, and like yeah. <laughs> being
3: far away from things. But okay, I like. A, I wish the
2: traps were more interesting. I played around yeah. with those. In the I first don't really game.
3: use the traps very much. Yeah. It's a game with a lot of options, yeah. I do mm-hmm. want to try Tunic though, so good, good call on that. I'm
2: Tunic is good. Tunic is good. Like uh, Elden Ring is all like the world is terrible and these giant gods are trying to kill you. And Tunic's like, oh, q fox, q fox, kill. It. Like it's still like very hard, but you know it is a nice change of pace. Um, shout out to by the way, picks for me. Uh, I also want to reiterate that our flag means death. The HBO pirate show. It's really good it's in fact even better than the first couple episodes i talked about uh when last i mentioned it i'm like they're like two episodes away from the end now so like the season came really quickly and it's really funny and it really matures within like three to four episodes like uh reese darby is a gem and then uh taika waititi playing uh the legendary pirate blackbeard appears and just like he is so good he is incredible in the show. So I'd watch Taika YTT in anything, but, uh, you know, he is a co-creator of the show, co-producer, and he is just having a lot of fun in it. And it's also like, it's not a typical pirate story. It's about people like trying to, uh, learn to take care of each other and be emotionally mature and stuff. So it's very sweet. A lot of fun. A lot of like SNL comedy alum appearing in it too, that I didn't expect. So it is real good. Check out our flag means death on HBO max. Is it a miniseries or is it going to be an ongoing thing? I, I don't know if it's ongoing, but it's it's a series, so the first season is going to be finishing up soon. Uh, but it was, it's not specifically
3: just like one season, like like uh, some other things.
2: They'll probably keep going. Like it's, they have enough setup and characters where they, this could last a few seasons. Uh, also, want to shout out the movie After Yang, my favorite movie from uh, Sundance. Uh, it is now streaming on Showtime. So go go check it out if you have Showtime. Um, it is worth. I don't think it's on VOD yet, so it is worth like doing a Showtime trial or something. <laughs> I loved it. We just reviewed it on my movie podcast, the film cast. So uh, I, I think it's a beautiful movie and everybody should watch it. Check out my review over in gadget as well. Thanks for joining us, folks. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find me online at at Davindra on Twitter, and I podcast about movies and TV
3: at the filmcast, uh, thefilmcast.com. And where can we find you, Nate? You can find me on Twitter at, at Nate Ingram. Uh, I tweet about stories I'm writing and other nonsense, and give me a follow if you want. <laughs> All right. And email us at podcast
2: at Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Thanks, folks. We're out. Don't forget to stick around for our interview with Dan Erickson, the creator of Severance. Hey, everyone, you probably have heard me talk about severance from Apple TV plus on this show before. I think it's excellent. Uh, It is the latest series that is mostly directed by Ben Stiller. And it's created by writer Dan Erickson. Now you probably have not heard his name before. He actually doesn't have many other credits on IMDb. So this is actually a big first time project for him. The show is sort of like a near-future office space where office workers can have their work lives and home lives kind of surgically separated. When they go into their office, uh, that is the only reality they know. And their outside lives, or their outies, as they're known, have no idea what's happening inside the office either. So it's a really cool uh, thriller that's very sci-fi, and I think really, really apropos for this time when we're thinking about, you know, the nature of work-life balance. So here's my short chat with Dan Erickson dan erickson thank you so much for joining us on the engadget podcast hello i have to ask it seems like just watching the first episode of severance uh, i have a feeling like somewhere a job really hurt you like in your (laughs) psyche or something and like left a deep mark can you tell us about that experience that inspired severance
0: yeah (laughs) uh i mean they all did they all did (laughs) no it's um it's so funny and i i uh struggle with how to talk about this sometimes because I don't want to besmirch anybody, especially anybody who gave me money uh, when I needed it. Um, But yeah, it was uh, the, the idea for this came when I was working at this place. Um, It's a a company in LA that uh, like I had found the, you know, job just on Craigslist because I got here and, and had no money and sort of needed the first thing I could take. And, uh, it was a, it was a company that makes doors. It was just like a, a door company and, uh, It's a
2: real Dunder Mifflin moment for you. Yeah.
0: It was very Dunder Mifflin. It was, uh, yeah. And, and or, or a very Monsters ink was the other thing. Like people were like, Oh, are there big conveyor belts of doors that you ride on? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, but no, it was, uh, it was a really nice, um, it was a nice group of people and I was happy to be working. Cause like, um, you know, there, there, the, there was, there was a bad economy as, as it seems there often is. Sure. And, sure. uh, and I, uh, so yeah, I, I was happy to be there, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I just like caught myself work, walking in one day and, and wish just sort of fantasizing like, God, if I could just cut out the next eight hours, just snip them out of my life and be going home right now, like I would absolutely do that. And then just realize that's kind of a weird messed up thing to catch yourself wishing for. Um, So yeah, it was that, but then as I was writing it, I was, I was, you know, I remained deeply unsuccessful for some time at a lot of jobs and was moving between these different office jobs, um, either temp jobs or just jobs that became temp because I wasn't very good at them. Um, And and I just sort of found myself, um, I, I was watching myself sort of become these slightly different people in each of these roles uh, depending on sort of what I thought was expected of me. And then, of course, you know, I also got there, there's so much just delicious, weird corporate stuff that, that that's real and that you find in any sort of corporate workplace you're going to live, you're going to be in. Um, so so I, I was able, as I was writing the pilot and developing the series to sort of draw from a firsthand from a lot of that stuff.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. I have to say, like, just watching the series, and I was watching it with my wife, we were like, this feels very office space, or at least like the office space of now in terms of like how a lot of us are feeling about work, not just being trapped in cubicles, but it's a little more even existential. Did the pandemic sort of reshape your thoughts around work life balance at all? Like, to kind of like, did it help solidify your vision or was it all written before this started?
0: It it was, so it, it was all written before it started. And we were three weeks away from shooting when the, the lockdowns hit. And, uh, it was just, um, you know, we, we, we went, we left expecting to come back two weeks later and then, you know, weeks turned to months as we all remember. And, uh, I I start first of all. I thought that they were just going to cancel the show. I was like, this is the, the universe wasn't going to let me have this.
2: Found mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm.
0: a way to make COVID about me, but um, <laughs> but no, it was. It, but it, it I was also just worried that there was going to be no. I was like, we're creating an office show right as offices are going extinct, because there was you know it was clear that that not all jobs were going to be coming back in the way that we knew them, and that a lot of things were going to sort of become remote. And so I was like, oh, no, is this going to be the least relevant thing ever, ever made? Um, but what was fascinating was it, it it changed the context, but it definitely didn't dampen the context because I think that, you know, the fact that I believe you and I are in our homes right now are both in our homes doing work. You know, it's it's insane that uh, it's it, it, if anything, it it made it harder to have a personal life. The fact that like we all had to go home and work followed us home.
2: Exactly. And, it almost and, seems like real life uh, wrote the sequel for you, right? Yeah. Like,
0: Yeah. No, it totally did. It totally did. It was, um, so it was a weird, like, we were figuring out as we went what kind of world we were going to be releasing this show into. And, you know, the fact that the pandemic, I think, springboarded us a little bit into this this great resignation and this, this time where people are rethinking what is an appropriate work-life balance and what's an appropriate amount of yourself to give over to your employer, you know, in exchange for the, the privilege of living on this earth. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, a, there's a lot of fascinating questions being asked that I didn't know were going to be being asked, but it's it's a it's a fascinating time to release this particular show.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the uh, the philosophical implications of how we like define ourselves certainly in real life but also the way you present it in the show is that something you neo know, that you started to think about after you had kind of this string of jobs or have you always been like exploring philosophical questions like this
0: I think well I've always been terrified of work I'll tell you that much I, I mean I, I feel I, you yeah <laughs> I I th- this this show um, there was a play I wrote in college called convention which had a lot of the early DNA that I think of what would come this show. It's not, it was a very different story with different characters, but it was like set in kind of a weird existentially confusing office where like nobody quite knew what was going on. And that was, you know, I was a senior in college about to join this big, scary thing called the workforce. And so I, th- I think it's always been something that's in my head. Um, um, Cause it's just a, it's just a strange thing. Like you're, you're, you're selling a piece of yourself. Um. Uh. whatever your job is basically. And, and, and so I, uh, yeah. And then just seeing over the years, like, as I did work, these different, these different desk jobs, like just seeing how different everybody was. And in some cases, how willing they were to separate, you know, they, they, they might behave in a certain way at work because that's what's, what's what they're called on to do. You know, they, they might fire 10 people one day and then have to, Figure out how to how to either leave that at work or take it home with them and live with it, um, and and there is this weird sense of like oh yeah I did I did something today that hurt a lot of people or caused a lot of pain but it's work you know it's not me it's work and it's just uh, that separation is just fascinating to me and something that I wanted to explore.
2: Gotcha. Um, I mean, uh, some colleagues of mine too have noticed like the the actual setup and the way you guys designed the show is also very stage like and play like. Did your experience? working on plays and I assume like other similar things in college. Did that influence how you guys wanted to present the show?
0: Yeah, yeah, it did. And and you know, we looked at a lot of there were a ton of visual references, some of which were, you know, film, but, but um, so I was just talking to Jeremy, Jeremy Hindle, the, the set designer, and we're talking about like the movie playtime and and there's these other sort of uh, weird, absurdist movies that that draw from theater. Um, and so, and then, you know, the, the story itself is, you know, like, No Exit was, uh, was uh, you know, w- uh, Waiting for Godot. These, these, these were all sort of um, references in the language and stuff. And so I think that, that there is a thea- theatricality almost to the dialogue and to the characters. And so I think it, it almost couldn't help but feel, <laughs> you, you know, that translated a little bit into the visual look of it too.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. And I was also uh, one reason I like immediately took notice of this show, too, is that it was, uh, you know, it's uh, produced and uh, p- partially directed by Ben Stiller. Um, I have loved all of his movies, like even the ones people uh, kind of rag on. Like, I think Cable Guy is like a perfect little dark comedy. I,
0: genius. So and, good. And, and like, wasn't yeah. at all understood at the time. But I feel like mm-hmm. now people people get it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, so he's done good stuff uh i have not seen escape at Denimore yet but i hear that's I- excellent i'm just wondering like how did he influence the series how did he like help you craft the story too
0: i mean he is it's it's just he, i i can't i can't overstate how awesome and hands-on and um just just detail oriented he is like the the i i feel like because he's such a you know gifted comedic actor you know it, it's people, there are going to be people who always think of him that way. But to me, he's just like one of the best directors that's alive today in terms of like, he works so tirelessly with every department and getting every detail down. And it all has to be sort of working in symphony. Um, and, you know, he would, he would, he, he has so much energy and would like meet with me for an hour and then go and meet with, you know, the costume department for an hour and, and the DP you know Jessica Gagne for an hour, and and then come back to me and be like, okay, here's what we're doing, and it's just the the way his brain sort of he he has a great brain for sort of this particular language and the the language of film and TV and just making something that works so of a piece, and yeah, I think that he, I I, I mean he was he was going to some really risky, daring places with this show. Um, which he's done before, you know, stuff like, like Walter Mitty and Dan Amora, but I, I feel like on this show, he just, he, it it allowed him to, to flex so many muscles that we haven't seen from him yet. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, my hope is, is that, you know, people will continue to recognize Ben as, as one of the best, you know, one of the best directors out there because, because he absolutely is.
2: I should hope so. Uh, We're a tech site. So I do want to talk about some of the tech stuff in this show. And uh, specifically, um, I love the old computers. I love the vibe of the, you know, the inside of the severed office, basically. Can you talk about like, what was the because it seems like this, this is a show taking place ostensibly in modern times. But in those offices, we have like 80s computers, what was the design decision? And, you know, what is the thought about making people use things like that, too?
0: Yeah, there was a lot. uh, Again, this goes back to Ben and and his sense of visual storytelling and and because i i always wanted there to be kind of a retro future futurist vibe for the for the thing and, and i i imagined it as being kind of these yeah these these old the older technologies kind of mixed together with newer stuff um ben's question was always why you know his question is is okay that's that's cool but like how do we ground this show in a in right. a lot it can be an insane logic but it It needs to have a logic, and uh, and so you know we talked about the the company as wanting to sort of intentionally disorient the workers in time and space, and there's a there's a sense of you're in this just kind of soup of of you know different decades, and and you know you can't you can try to figure out where and when you are in the world, but you're not going to because we're (laughs) we're getting to all these sort of almost red herrings. so so that, you know, you're you're not, you feel unmoored and you feel like your home is here. Your home is at your desk.
2: It's almost like a prison, but I'm thinking of like even my high school and some like school, prison-like environments that we were trapped in. It yeah. all feels very familiar. Well, you Absolutely. know what, Dan? Thank you so much for chatting with us and uh, good luck with the show. I hope we see a season two. I'm looking forward to finishing the rest of this season.
0: Thank you so much. It's great, great talking to you and I'm glad you're enjoying it.